Welcome to Money Talk with Tiff, a podcast where we discuss everything money from tips and tricks to current events. Follow me on my journey to become debt-free and meet other cool people along the way. I am your host, Tiffany Grant. Now let's talk money. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Money Talk with Tiff podcast. So today I have Bevan Morgan on the line. She is a financial wellness coach that specializes in helping Black female entrepreneurs and creators gain the confidence they need in their financial futures with a touch of woo-woo. And if you listen to the podcast, you know I love me some woo-woo. So this should be a very good conversation with Bevan. Hey, how are you doing? I am awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to the combo. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you for coming on. So first and foremost, because um, I know we talked a little bit before I hit record. And of course, we are very into closing the racial wealth gap. Um, it is something that is super important. Um, and, you know, it's it's our mission to make sure that we do our part to make that happen. Um, just really quickly, because I know we've had a lot of episodes on the racial wealth gap, <laughs> <laughs> but really quickly, like if you can just tell our audience why that is important to you. Absolutely. Yeah. So as a financial coach, I've had the opportunity to meet and work with a lot of people so far, mostly women. And it's just, it's interesting for one thing to see it on a microscopic level, how widely differentiated that world is. So, you know, not to put anybody on blast, not to call anybody out, but I've got one client who is like 23 years old. She's making more money than I do right now. You know, she just, she has this world of options, no student loans, just everything has kind of been set up for her. And that's wonderful for her. And I'm excited for her life. And I have clients who are 10 years older than she is, working their butts off, owning their own businesses, doing all of these things. And they're struggling with, you know, negative net worth and student loans and just, you know, it's, it's, it's just so easy to see the system that was set in place for them to make it almost impossible for them to broach that gap. And so literally just being able to see it every day tears my heart apart and I just can't help but want to do something about that. Gotcha. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, as coaches, we see a full spectrum of clients, right? Um, Like as you hinted on, you know, you have the client that's 23, making bukus of money, no student loan debt, things like that. And then on the other hand, there's people like me. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, but on the other hand, there's other people that have student loan debt, have credit card debt, have all of this debt, haven't even started saving for retirement or investing or anything like that and way older. So I think I think that's a good segue into um, one of the things that I wanted to discuss today. And that is um, where does investing fall in line? Right. Because we've heard different things like, you know, before we got on, I was telling you, you know, I was an avid fan of David. Dave Ramsey. I still like Dave Ramsey. Don't get me wrong. But one thing that he teaches is to um, forego any type of investing 
to go ahead and pay off of debt. And that's kind of where my belief um, converges from him a little bit. Um, And I just wanted to hit on that because I know you're debt free. You know, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah. So I think like most of us, Dave Ramsey was the first voice that I heard in this financial journey. His is probably still the loudest. You know, he's had this huge global network. And so a lot of people find him first. And that's not a bad thing necessarily, but, but same, you know, I, I got the total money makeover. I started Mm -hmm. working the baby steps and that's what has led me to this debt-free path. Now, just like you and I were talking about before we got started, um, if I could do it all over again, knowing what I know now, I absolutely would have said, you know what, the government can continue to hold on to these loans. They can take this, you know, interest only because Honestly, at the end of the day, they're not going to get my my degree back. I've already earned it. They can't have it. You know, I know what I know. And um, instead of literally putting thousands of dollars towards paying off that student loan, I could have been putting thousands of dollars into the 2008 stock market because that's when I graduated. And just imagine how much wealth I'd be sitting on right now. So it's, I I definitely would have done things differently. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like, like, in my opinion, there's room for both, right? I feel like, because I was heavy on paying off debt as well. Um, You know, I had paid off like over 50,000. But simultaneously, I was still investing. And um, especially like, I know one thing he talks about is stop contributing to your 401k or whatever. And I'm just like, I like, especially if you have a 401k and your company matches, take advantage of it. Like that is just extra money being left on the table (laughs) and it can coexist with your debt payoff. Because if you think about it, when you contribute to your 401k, um, the money that you get net, um, like it's not, it's like you're not missing it. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, cause they take it off the top. So that's why I'm like, just build your lifestyle around that net amount <laughs> and then start planning your debt there. Um, because 401ks, they are one of the biggest wealth building um, vehicles. Like when I used to work at a firm, a lot of those people had million dollar portfolios because they invested in their 401k over many, 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 many years. And that's where a lot of their um, investments had came from, you know, all of their uh, wealth in that regard. You know what I'm saying? Um, So I feel like it can exist uh, simultaneously. Um, Now, when it comes to outside investing, um, (laughs) maybe crawl, walk, run a little bit. Yeah. Well, you know, that's the thing with the 401k. I feel like I got, you know, so when I graduated from business school in 2008 is when I kind of like started this whole debt journey, financial road, all this stuff. And so I knew what a 401k was, you know, I had an MBA, like I, I understood all of that stuff, but for whatever reason, I kept getting the message that unless your company was matching, you know, don't put the money in the 401k, pay off the debt. And that's that's what I did for a long time. But you're absolutely right, Tiffany. It's like, even if your company doesn't match, it still makes sense to put money into that 401k because it's those pre-tax dollars. To your point, it's like you're not really mixing them. It almost balance, balances out at one point. And um Yeah. It's like if I had started back then when I was, what, 26, 
and now I'm 38, you know, it's like, just again, just imagine how much we would be sitting on. So moral of the story is if you have a 401k, please invest in it. Thank you. Right. And (laughs) exactly. My name is Tiffany and I approve this message now. But um, (laughs) but um, seriously, though, like I do feel like, okay, so let's backtrack a little bit, because I do feel like if you have a 401k that matches, then go ahead and put it with the company. But if it doesn't match, then it may be best to just uh, create an IRA. So an individual retirement account. Um, And that way it's not attached to the company. So when you leave, you know, the, the funds are there for you. Like when you invest in a 401k, if you leave the company, a lot of people, this is one mistake that a lot of people do. They leave it there for what? Like, (laughs) why do you, why do you need ties to the company for one? And then for two, they're going to start charging you, um, the management fee. Um, you know, when you're working for the company, the company absorbs the management fee, but when you leave, they start charging you that management fee directly. So what I always tell people as a rule of thumb, go ahead and roll over whatever 401k you have to an IRA once you depart. Um, (laughs) because then you also, have access to more of the market too. You all may know when you invest in a 401k, they give you what you can invest in and that's it, period. Like there's no diverging from that. But when you are in an IRA, pretty much the whole entire market is yours. So um, that, sorry, I went on a little (laughs) tangent there, but... That is one thing that I feel like a lot of people make a mistake with, like they leave their funds with their old employer. But speaking of mistakes, you know, I and this is along the same line as what you were saying. When I was about 18 or 19, I had started investing and I was so excited because back then, you know, in order to open up an IRA or an investment account on your own outside of an employer, you had to have money. You know, you had like for this account, I had to have at least $3,000 just to open it up. Luckily, it's not like that anymore. Um, But, you know, I had saved up my money, opened it up. I would put it in my little mutual funds because, you know, I would always read Kiplinger Personal Finance or Money Magazine. And a year later, I took it all out. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And, you know, now when I look back, I'm like, dang, like, do you know how much, just like what you were saying, how much I could have today if I would have just like, even if I didn't contribute any any more but i just left it in how it was invested (laughs) right exactly you know so guys don't be like us (laughs) (laughs) make sure you're investing and then once you do invest do not remove it (laughs) leave it leave it it. let it grow early and often exactly early and often just let it do its thing Exactly. And if you feel like you don't have any money to invest, $10, $20 can go a long way. If you do $10, $20 a month until you're able to increase, something is better than nothing, right? You know, when you started investing when you're 18 or 19 and you had to put your $3,000 into a mutual fund, you know, that was back in the like, basically you had to be rich to get rich type of days. Mm -hmm. But so now here in the past, you know, five, six, maybe 10 years, we've seen all of these like robo investors come out and the different, um, 
all of the different like platforms that are available and they're so cool. And I love that you can literally put like, you know, a $5 recurring monthly deposit into a fund, you know? So, I mean, I've, I have one that I've been putting like my change into, I do like $5 recurring and now it's at like a thousand bucks and I don't do like, I barely even pay attention to it, but I love just the fact that anybody can invest and it doesn't have to be in anything weird. You don't have to put it in GameStop. You know, you can like, you can put it in a whole market fund and just, you know, start to test your wheels, start that practice today, right now. You don't have to be rich to get rich necessarily. Exactly. And that, that was an awesome, awesome, awesome development in this field. Um, Cause now it's accessible to everybody. Like anybody can open up a, an account and just put $5, $10 here, you know, $20 there. And it's fine. It used to not be like that. So that's why I'm like, I tell people all the time, please take advantage. <laughs> please take advantage. Um, so another thing that I wanted to talk about was um, I know you're a real estate investor. Um, I wanted to just kind of walk through your whole process around that. And if there are any takeaways for our audience um, when it comes to your process. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm going to give you some real talk today, Tiffany, when it, <laughs> when it comes to this real estate. So my strategy around real estate so far has been buy and hold. And that's basically just, you know, when you buy the property, you own it, you put tenants in it and you let them pay your mortgage on a long-term basis. So it's, it's, I think that's probably the first thing that most people think about when they think about real estate, if not like the flipping just because of HGTV and all the flipping TV shows. And that's not me. But one thing that I will say, you and I talked about this a little bit before we started the podcast is, you know, real estate is not for everybody and it's not as sexy as the internet would make it seem. And it's one of those things where I feel like I'm very glad that I have the experience with it now. And I think in, you know, it's one of those things where I can either grow my portfolio and really get the economies of scale in place to where I get very profitable, or I might actually decide to liquidate my portfolio, take that cash. And I don't know, put it in REIT or do something like more hands off because honestly, your girl is busy. And I don't have time to chase after these tenants. So it's, I guess the takeaway from this is anybody who's interested in real estate, I want you to take an additional 45 minutes to sit down and look at your lifestyle and decide if this is something that's actually worth it for you. Absolutely. And I mean, another part is like what you mentioned, REITs, for instance, there's multiple ways that you can invest in real estate without having to physically um, <laughs> invest in real estate, right. if you know what I mean. Exactly. So um, exactly. like, for instance, like me and my husband, we have a rental property and we just had the change out the stove uh, last week. Um, and so it's very hands on. And, you know, if anything goes wrong, They'll be calling you um, and it's your responsibility. It's not like you can call the maintenance um, department anymore. You are the maintenance department at this time. Um, so, you know, it's just something to think about it now. Granted. Um, oh, let me explain REITs real quick. Um, so REITs are real estate investment trusts. Now, what one thing that I've learned that most people don't know, that there are a couple of flavors of REITs, right? So one flavor of REIT 
is like um, private. And so, you know, it's on the private market, you buy in. Um, the issue with those is that it's hard to sell your shares if you ever need to sell them, right? Because it's private, it's not on the public market. Then the other flavor of REITs is sold on the public market. And so, you know, you can buy into REIT mutual funds, for instance. And that's another way that you can buy into them. And how they work is... They're pretty much pooling money together in both flavors. They're pooling money together to buy commercial properties. And then you get a piece of whatever profit comes off of those commercial. Um, I think sometimes it's residential too, but I think it's majority commercial properties. And whatever um, profit comes off of that, you get a share, kind of like a stock, right? When it comes to corporations. So I just wanted to explain that really quick because some people might be like, okay, what is a REIT? <laughs> Did she just, wait, what did she just say? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there are many different ways that you can invest in real estate. Um, I know back when, I don't know if it was big where you are, but people were doing the whole Susu thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, okay, if all of these people are trusting complete strangers with their money. Why can't you pull this money together like you were already doing and do it in your actual circle and buy real estate or, you know, something along those lines. So that way it's not like a pay 500 out, get a thousand by the end of the month. It's more like y'all all own this thing and whatever it spits out over the years, you know, everybody gets a piece and it's something that can be passed down from generation to generation. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I was like, with all these people coming up with $500 out the blue, um, <laughs> Um, you know, it's a little, it's easier than what people may think. You know what I'm saying? Right. I do. I do. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up though, because, um, are you familiar with Chris Senegal? No. In Houston. <laughs> so he's a black man in Houston, young. I think he's like 32 or I don't know. He's younger than me, but um, he's doing something similar where he's doing like crowdfunding projects where he's buying the block essentially in Houston and redeveloping it, putting black folks right back into the neighborhood after he finishes. But yeah, like a thousand dollar investment, you're crowdfunded into his projects. Basically, he is, he's creating his own like it is crowdfunding, but it's kind of a read. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's paying back out dividends on these projects and redeveloping our neighborhood. So I'm just like, People are out here doing this stuff, but we have to find them. Yeah. And I will say also to um, be careful because there was one um, a few years ago that everybody was starting to buy into. It was a private type REIT situation, but it was like, you know, black buying back the block, blah, 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 blah. And um, I spoke with someone that had bought into it and they're like, there's no way for me to get my money out now. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, Cause they were trying to get their money back out and they couldn't like they kept giving them pushback and all types of stuff. So um, I would suggest just making sure you know exactly what you're investing in. Warren Buffett always says he does not invest in anything he does not understand. And that's why he doesn't invest in Bitcoin and, you know, currency and things like that, because with corporations, they have 
figures that can back up the price. You get what I'm saying? Um, So he's like, he stays away from things that can't back up and justify why it's that way. So that's why I tell people when you invest, do not invest in anything that you do not understand. Do not just fall into hype. But at the (laughs) same time, (laughs) at the same time, don't be so um, terrified to invest that you just don't. You know what I mean? Right. Um, right. So anyway, uh, so as a real estate investor, um, I know currently you have two duplexes or tenants. And so I know a lot of people do like the house hacking thing, um, which is what you were, you know, kind of alluding to where you have the tenants in, they are pretty much paying the mortgage and, you know, you get whatever is left over after that. Now, did you ever live in any of your duplexes? So I never did. Um, and this is a, this is kind of back to our original theme of like things that I wish I had done. So it like again, if I had it to do all over again, I absolutely would have purchased my first property as like a triplex, fourplex, done the whole FHA three and a half percent down house hacking, living in one unit, renting out the other three units, you know, that whole thing. But I did the like traditional. So I did the Dave Ramsey plan, paid off all my bill, all my debts, got married, bought a house. So, you know, I did the whole like quote unquote American dream path. And um, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think a lot of people want that for their lives. And it's again, I just have to reiterate, like, think about what you want for the long term. So if if I had thought about it more closely, I would have said, okay, by the time I'm 38, it'd be really great if I was sitting on a nice big pile of cash. So how can I do that here in my mid twenties so that, you know, I've set myself up. Well, instead I said, let me live the American dream at 26. And so that now that I'm 38, I can look back and say, man, I wish I had done that house hacking. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. But you know, everything happens for a reason and everything that you've gone through, just like me, it helps us, you know, teach other people. And so that's the key here. Like, regardless, like I had this conversation with a client last night, actually, I was like, whose timeline are we on? (laughs) You know, um, we're on our own timeline. And so if we are comfortable, um, with the decision or, you know, if at the time that was the best decision for us, you know, that type of thing, then it's just up to us to figure out, okay, since I had to do this now, what do I need to do to get to where I want to be? Not looking at our peers, not looking at society, not looking at anything else other than what we want um, ourselves. And so here we here, here I am going into this woo woo. But um, <laughs> but the woo woo is important. Um, and, you know, money's is. emotional. And I'll just leave it. <laughs> OK, so. <laughs> Um, But yeah, I mean, that was great conversation. Now, with the debt free, I have a personal question, um, if you don't mind. Um, When you were debt, so you said you were debt free and then you bought um, the house. Did you run into any issues? Because I know Dave Ramsey talks about 
zero credit score. Did you ever get to the zero credit score? Zero credit score. My goodness. No. So I <laughs> listen. So I was paying off the debt, but I wasn't closing credit cards or anything like that. Like I, I knew that buying a house was on the horizon. I knew that I wasn't going to try to buy a house with cash. Like that was definitely never part of my mindset. So the credit cards were at zero, but they were still, you know, I still had the history. I, you know, so yeah, the credit score was still there and we put 20% down on the house and did that whole thing. Okay. Okay. Cause I just wanted to like, <laughs> cause you know, he talks about that a lot. He's like, you know, you want to get a zero credit score and then you have to do a whole different process when it comes to the mortgage, um, this, any other. So I wanted to see if that was something that you had to go through. Um, so you can allude to that because I don't yeah. know anybody that has done that yet. <laughs> I don't like, I, so, that, so yeah, so that's where, like, if you're listening to the Dave Ramsey plan, I feel like turn off the tapes at that point, because that just doesn't make sense to me. Honestly, I mean, so the average price of a house in America today is what, like a hundred fifty, maybe $200,000. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you take like the coast into account, maybe it's higher than that. But, but yeah, there, it just, it doesn't make sense for any average American to spend what 30 years saving that money before they even buy a house. Like that doesn't make sense to buy it with cash. Right. 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 <laughs> well, so that being, can I ask you a question? Sure. Mm-hmm. All right. So I've been having this internal debate with myself as pertains to my clients. So, so every single client that I have has it on their goal is to buy a house. Every single one, it doesn't matter. Everybody wants to buy a house. And I understand that from an emotional perspective. I own the house that I live in. I get it. And I don't know that it's actually the wealth building tool that it was at one point. Like that's where I feel like the story is starting to change. And I'm curious what your take is on that. Okay. So here's my belief personally. Um, I feel like if you own land, AKA, you know, house, whatever it looks like, maybe it's just a piece of land, whatever. When you own land, um, land is a non-renewable resource, right? And so land can be passed down from generation to generation. Sometimes, you know, maybe not in your lifetime, but maybe in your kid's lifetime, your grandkids or whatever, somebody's going to need that land and they're going to pay, you know, for that piece of land, hopefully. Now, that's kind of my take on it. So like, for instance, I bought my house when I was 26. I'm never going to sell this house because this is like a piece of land. This is a piece of property for me where even if I don't live here, you know, if somebody else lives here or whatever, it's still mine. You get what I'm saying? Um, Now, with that being said, owning a house is not cheap, right? So, you know, for instance, when I closed on my house the night of... (laughs) I was running my son a bath and the whole bathroom flooded and I had to call a plumber out and, you know, you go through the due diligence process and all of that. But this was um, a situation where you had to actually start filling the tub up in order for, you know, him, the inspector to catch that issue. And of course they don't do all of that when they're doing the inspection. So um, that was one thing that I had to do. So the night of me closing, I already had to spend, um, what was it like $500, um, 
for them to come out and the repair. And, and that was a deal according to them. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's not cheap. I've had to do a whole bunch of yard work because my backyard floods, I had to spend about 1500 on that. It's not a cheap endeavor. Um, but for me, I feel like the, I guess the emotional part of owning it and then also having something that can be passed on. You know what I mean? Um, for me, that's key. Like I want to buy more land. I want to have more properties. I want to um, do all those things because I'm thinking not just for me, but I'm thinking for generations down the line. Um, I know that when I used to work at a firm, there were people that own land that that is now being um, developed a lot, like, you know, around airports or whatnot. They were making million dollar deals for, you know, a couple of acres. You know what I'm saying? So and this was land that was passed on to them from great grandparents or grandparents or whatever. And I'm sure at that time when the grandparents or great grandparents bought that land, they didn't they would have never fathomed that it would be worth that much today. You know what I'm saying? So that's kind of like my personal take on it. Like I love it now. It's not for everybody though. Like you were saying, it's not. Um, And everybody seems to want to have that goal, but you have to take into consideration. Do you plan on staying wherever you are for that long of a period? (laughs) Um, at least, you know, a few years, because if not, then there's no point in buying. You might as well just rent, um, you know, so a lot of different things go into, you know, what I advise my clients on if it, it's a good goal for them. But um, that's pretty much my personal take on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, some of the things that I feel like I heard you say in that um, really comes down to just like the mentality that you have in terms of longevity. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing that a lot of people forget is that when you're buying a home, it's you're not necessarily looking for a showpiece. It's not necessarily, you know, let me buy the most expensive, biggest, most beautiful, most whatever house on the hill for my first property. Because you're right. It's like if you're not going to be there for the rest of your life, if you're not going to pass that property down to the next generation, then it might need to be a stepping stone up to that property that you're going to pass down to the next generation or whatever, or just rent or just rent. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I mean, that went into my, like when I first bought this house, I was like, okay, this is a good starter home. We'll stay here for a few years, but eventually I do want to move to another one. But I was already thinking longevity. Like my goal is to have at least, um, you know, a couple different properties. So my kids will have, you know, want a piece, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So that way, when they get older, you know, if they ever have need somewhere to stay, you know, they can just rent it out or, you know, <laughs> that type of thing. Um, or they can do maybe like a rent to own from me, you know, um, because I don't 
Now, I will say, I don't believe in just giving people stuff. Um, I feel like you have to have some skin in the game or if not, it's just going to look a hot ghetto mess at the end of the day. Um, <laughs> like, because people people care more about something that they have skin in the game on. So sure. that's why like with my kids, this house will be one of theirs. Now, how that looks, I know for sure they're going to have to pay something because I paid something. And that also teaches them that think life isn't free. Like everything in life has a cost. And so, you know, I probably won't charge them as much as I paid, but you know, it would be <laughs> something. So anyway, um, <laughs> cause I can go on on a tangent, but um, thank you so much, Bevan. This was a very lively conversation and we talked yeah. about so many different things. Um, but if people were interested in getting in contact with you or finding you, how would they do that? Yes. So I am most active on Instagram and it's really easy. It's just at Bevan Morgan, my name. And I also have a website, which is bevanmorgan.me. So bevanmorgan.me. Um, and they can find me in either one of those places. And the great thing about my website is that I link to all of my different blog posts that I've written, my podcast episodes. There'll be a link to this episode on there as well. So people can kind of get to know me through either one of those places. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was a great conversation and I'm so glad that you decided to join me today. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate you. Thank you for listening to the Money Talk with Tiff podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to moneytalkwitht.com. And while you're there, why not sign up for our newsletter so you'll never miss an episode. Talk to you soon. Thank you.